Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the Allison Interviews Podcast. I am back from my break and I am so excited because my very first guest of the new season is viral rap sensation Yellow Pain. If you guys are not familiar with his music, please, I'm begging you, go to YouTube, type in Yellow Pain, that's Y-E-L-L-O, P-A-I-N, and watch his music videos, you will be blown away. And I know I say that a lot, but if you think about it logically, I handpick who I interview. So clearly, all of the people that I interview, you're going to be super impressed by. What I love about Yellow Pain is he is a young rapper. I would actually call him more of a poet and spoken word artist who happens to also rap and you'll see what I mean when you listen to his music and watch the visuals with the music video. He is a 27 year old from Dayton, Ohio and the wisdom that he has and the insights that he shares in his songs are way beyond his age and the one video I think that made him really blow up and go viral was a song he did called My Vote Don't Count. And me being a 48-year-old, let me tell you something. I watched this video and it really made me stop and think. And essentially what it goes into is the misunderstanding, the fundamental misunderstanding about how our government works, the three branches of our government, who has what type of influence and who actually makes the laws. And I think that... So many of us get caught up in the theater and the drama of the presidential race every four years that we really don't stop and think about what we all learned in school, which is that the Congress is where bills are brought for consideration and voted on and essentially laws are created. And then it's sent to the president to either sign off on or deny and then we have our Supreme Court, which actually upholds the laws of the land, and that goes into constitutional law. So I think that it's, it's a really good refresher course. Remember that old show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And some of the most brilliant people in the world who are like old couldn't even answer the questions that were on that show because we get so caught up in life as grown-ups, like we get so caught up in adulting and dealing with just the overwhelmment of being an adult on the day-to-day, -day, like taking care of kids, working, bills, da, 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 you know, all of that stuff, that we forget the most basic fundamental things that we learned when we were in school. And one of them is how laws work, who we need to vote for, and who we need to pay attention to. And it goes way, way, way deeper than the presidential campaign. It goes to your local congressman, your senator, your local judges, the people who run your police department, the people who run your school boards. And that's what Yellow Pain's song and video, My Vote Don't Count, goes into, and it really is an eye-opener. And so much of his music is really incredible and such sets such a good example. You know, I'm always complaining as a Generation Xer that so many artists and celebrities these days are all about self, right? And a lot of them are co-opted and corporatized, and they're just not giving back in a way that previous generations did, something that's going to put good stuff into the younger generation. And I think that that is not just a moral and ethical imperative. I think it's a real responsibility that every one of us has to take seriously. And Yellow is so awesome in that I would be proud for my son 
who's 13 to listen to his music and watch his videos. And I'm always like, don't go on TikTok. Don't go on Instagram. Don't look at this. Don't look at that. It sets a bad example. It's a bad influence. But I actually went into my son's room and I was like, you have to check this guy Yellow Pain out. I would be happy for you to listen to his music because you will really learn a lot. And that speaks volumes. He also has a documentary that I can't say too much about, but it will be coming out on a streaming service, hopefully sometime soon. I'm thinking in 2023. And this documentary is phenomenal. It really breaks down and simplifies how our three branches of government work and what we can each do to take personal responsibility and accountability for what goes on in our town, in our city, in our county, in our state and in our country as a whole so definitely keep your eyes open for that and go and follow yellow pain on instagram at yellow pain y-e-l-l-o-p-a-i-n and of course follow me on instagram at the allison kugel but of course so sit back relax and listen to my amazing conversation with yellow pain So I just finished watching your documentary, Simplified. Oh, you watched it? Yeah, it was amazing. Can I just tell you, yeah. I'm 48, okay? And from watching your documentary, I realized that I've been brainwashed and socially conditioned my whole life to think that the presidential election is the most important election. Yeah. So if you could like... I want to let you talk a little bit about that and how, what kind of research and what kind of studying did you do personally to kind of figure out, wait a second, like it's the Congress where bills are created, where senators and and the House of Representatives vote, where things are voted into law. Like what made you really make that connection and want to teach that? So it all started off, uh, my cousin was running for Congress and uh, she asked me, you know, to make a song about voting. And I turned it down because, you know, I was just like everybody else. Like I participated in the system. I voted for Obama. Nothing Mm -hmm. happened in my life. You know what I mean? So that's kind of where it started. And I think what really happened was when she asked me the things like, what are some stuff you want to see changed? And I started to name the things I wanted to see changed. And she combated everything that I wanted to see changed with a person. And she started to tell me who these people were. And they were Congress members. They were school board members. They Mm -hmm. were uh, city judges. You know, they were not like federal government people. And a lot of those people look like me. Some of them were younger. Some, you know what I mean? So all ethnicities from Hispanic to black to white. And my whole life, I just thought it was these old, crusty people in Washington. (laughs) I think... With me, or I just think with human nature, once something is revealed to you, um, mm-hmm. that's not how you just always have known it to be. It sparks a level of curiosity, like, wait, you know, because everybody I know thinks this way. And um, so why is it this way? Who who is who's trying to promote it to be this way? What what are the obstacles for these people to, to get the 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 voices, you know? you know, to get people to care and to listen to them. So um, it kind of started there um, in the beginning. And that's where I made the song, My Vote Don't Count. Um, After the song and um, 
after uh, just going around and seeing those different people, I talked to so many politicians just between 2020 and 2021. And like it just that was kind of my research. It was really real life research. I got to see where they were counting votes at. You know, I got to see, you know, um, I got to talk to people who had just got bills passed to make a township a city. You know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. and I started to see these things and how it could benefit and hurt people just by people voting and not voting. And um, and the passion just really came from being in the field, to be honest. And how old are you now? I'm 27. Oh, Lord. Okay, you're so young. <laughs> you're baby. Okay, yeah. did you, what is your own personal level of education? Did you go to college? Did you not go to college? And when did the music start? Okay, so I went to, I did one year in um, at, uh, Central State University of College, but I didn't finish college. So music has started when I was a kid. Like I started making music when I was seven years old. I was just influenced by the people around me and the hip hop mm-hmm. culture. And I was, you know, just wanted to, that life. You know, I wanted the money, the cars, clothes, girls, et cetera. You know. <laughs> Wait, really? Is that how it started for you? Um. Okay, so. Yeah. Because one thing that's that stuck out about you to me is that you are you're like on the cusp of millennial and and Gen Z, right? Mm-hmm. And what I'm noticing with your guys' generations is that there is, especially in social media and in entertainment, mm-hmm. there's a drive to see what you guys can get from the world rather than a desire to use your life to give something to the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you fit into the latter category. So what, when did you have that epiphany that you wanted to actually use your art to give rather than to get? Yeah. So I started making music so early when I say, Mm -hmm. like I said, I was seven, you know, and, um, and, um, I was, I wasn't, you know, the most like popular kid, you know what I'm saying? I was, you know, I was, I was broke and my older cousin, he was staying with us at the time. And, um, he got like all the girls, like all the girls love my cousin. Um, he had more money than I had ever seen. I was seven. So, you know, even like, <laughs> $500 in, in $20 bills, just yeah. like rich to me. And he, you know, he wrecked. So, um, I got easily influenced by that and I wanted to be like him at the time. Um, and that's really where I got started into it. Um, but I was a, a, a very smart kid. Like I won a lot of spelling bees. So I was very into words. And um, okay. and as I dove into the music, um, it became it started to become therapy for me. You know, like as I was going through the things, it became more of a emotional expression than it was, uh, you know, me trying to get something. I kind of even lost sight of why I started it in the first place. And um, it was a time period around maybe 12, 13, 14 years old where um, I felt like just writing music was all I had. And I kind of blocked out the world around me. And I was like, you know, I'm just I want to be a famous rapper. Like that was my mindset. Um, and I and I put all my emotions into the music. Um, I think what really made it uh, become a philanthropic thing or like a thing where I really made it my mission to help people is that as it helped me um, 
just seeing the feedback to be honest um around i think 2017 that was i was always doing emotional music but around 2017 was like the first time i had really went viral and i got you know people telling calling me and telling me like yo that song it changed my life like you don't understand you know i was going through this and now i feel like i can keep going i feel like i can be stronger and just seeing a power in music and knowing the impact that my music had on me and seeing that that impact was transparent across other people i realized that it was a tool to help people in their everyday lives and it became so much more important than those shallow things that I desired in the beginning. Right. Well, it's it, I feel like people lose sight of the fact that rap it means rhythm and poetry. Mm. Right? It be, it became it became co-opted and so corporate and it became something other than what it was originally like I'm Gen X so I saw what it was in the 80s and in the early 90s and mm-hmm. I feel like your your music your lyrics are truly rhythm and poetry. Thank you. And I think also, you know, the type of rappers I was listening to as well probably influenced because even though I wanted the money, clothes, cars, and girls, that wasn't the stuff I was listening to to get through my hard times. You know, I mean, I was listening right. to the real <laughs> conscious artists, you know, coming up. So that probably helped as well. So who were you listening to when you were young? Um, I listened to it was a wide variety because I'm not just strictly listening to hip hop. Like I listened to a lot of different genres, but specifically in hip hop, um, it was a lot of the more, let's say, you know, just like the deeper artists. So it was like uh, Rakim and um, let me see. Ludacris was like I know Ludacris got a lot of fun songs, but he got a lot of (laughs) introspective records as well, you know. um, Cassidy and then um, Meek Mill became my favorite rapper. Like when I really, really got tied into it and he kind of talked from the struggle and the overcoming of it. And I think a lot of those artists that just talk about like from, you know, you know, the beginning to the limelight, but it's it's a little bit more deeper when they go into more details. And those are the artists that I like listening to. So you said something that reminded me of one of the the, the songs and one of the videos that I watched this morning, I watched your video, The Real Reason Why Men Cheat. Yeah. And it was really interesting because when people say things like, well, I want to get girls. Mm-hmm. So like, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean you want to get girls? Does it mean you want to really forge a genuine connection with somebody? Or does it mean that you want to get it like it's like a possession, like just another item or just something else to check off on the list. Right. So that that's really interesting to me because you break it down and you're like, we are conditioned as boys from the time that we're really young, that the more women you conquer, like the more women you have sex with, the more like how well how how would you put it like put it in your in your own what well, I would what I would really call it is just self validation you know what I mean okay. I think uh, as a kid you know you just get you thrown into the world you're not you don't have that much knowledge all you know is just what kids know and um when everybody values you based upon how other people value you and if people value you based upon the, the amount of attention you get from females you think that hey if I'm going to be somebody, if I'm going to have purpose in my life, if I'm going to be, uh, if I'm going to feel good about myself, I need to be in that race, you know? And um, even at 12, 13 years old, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm from the hood, like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. 
the young dudes, they was bragging about, you know, how many girls they had sex. But I didn't even, I had never even thought about having sex before, you know, just even being just thrown into the culture of just that fast pace, like everybody's trying to get something. So it became that type of chase. And at a, as a kid, you know, you right. figure out how can I conquer by any means necessary? How can I not be um, lame? How can I not be corny? You know, and um, that's that's what happens, you know, to a lot of us. So, you know, as we get older, some of those patterns from even being children, you know, they stain us and it becomes a part of our personality. It makes sense because if you're conditioned from the time you're a little kid to associate having sex with more women as like the reward centers in your brain, you know, light up like any other reward system in your brain, then you're going to be, it's, it's like, it's, it's in the subconscious. You're, you're going to have that reward system set up in your brain. But then the question that begs the question, like, were you ever taught what it means to be a boyfriend, to be a husband, to be a father? Um, and I'm talking about a lot of men in general. I'm not talking about you, yeah. but because it, 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 it's interesting, like in my culture, like I come from the Jewish culture. Right. And I mean, obviously look, men are men, women are women, and we all objectify each other to a degree or like none of us would be here. (laughs) (laughs) But I think like in my culture, there's a lot of importance placed on uh, what it means to be a husband, like what it means to be a father, what it means to be a family man. Um, And there's like a lot of value placed on that. There's like a, a reward system placed on that in addition to the other stuff. And so I just find that interesting because I wish that all boys were taught like there's value in having a long-term relationship. There's value in having a partnership. There's value in being a husband, you know? And I think, I think we learn that more now uh, it's it's becoming more uh, popularized. And I think social, to me, a lot of people think like social media is like the demise of like the world but to be honest i think it's access to information that we would never have got outside of our homes a lot of things that were not exposed and the only way you would be exposed to something was television you know and now you can hear somebody like me you know or a, you know the real reason why men cheat you can hear that song at 12 you know what i mean and um yeah scrolling on YouTube and, you know, it's a lot different. You have access to truth. You have access to so much more information and so many more influences, negative and positive, but it's way more of a choice now. And it's not just whatever you intake, that's all you have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I actually, um, I wanted to ask you since Thanksgiving is coming up, you have another song about Thanksgiving. That's (laughs) That's pretty, pretty brutal. Like, I mean, that it, it's like, it's so funny because in the video, you broke it down so well where people are like, well, what are we thankful for? And it's, we're having turkey and sitting with family and it's mm-hmm. like, it's so wholesome. And you're going into like the history of everything. Exactly. I mean, do you have a bone to pick with Thanksgiving? Like, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Uh, not anymore. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have a bone to pick with it. Um, And it's just that thing, you know, like sometimes it's just like voting with me, you know, like I didn't know nothing about it. So I didn't I never really had a stance on it. And then once you do the research and you find out what's going on, how can you ever support it the same way that you did before? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
Um, as I was doing research, I was reading books. I visited Indian villages. I had Zoom calls with uh, like Native Americans, people who are, you know, still in their own Indian reserves that are, you know, like that know their own history. And I, I you know, because I don't just go out and just start talking about anything without having, you know, information and history. And um, the more I found out, you know, it just kind of got sick to me. And it was like, okay, so where in translation, like how how did this become? permanent history for us and um and yeah so once I found that out and I realized that I had to you know make a statement about it and I think with Thanksgiving um it gets so crossed up right because there are these uh traditional uh fall harvests that um have been happening forever you know and yeah. I think we got you know in America it just kind of got all all of these different holidays kind of just got tied into the one that was celebratory based around, you know, murder, you know what I mean? And success yeah. overtaking um, the country. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving and, you know, if it's, if it's for, if, if it's something I could do, I will at least want to just break apart the tradition of Thanksgiving and maybe, uh, just have another holiday. You know, I don't, I love the aspect of family, but you know, and, and when you try start talking about taking away, first off food, <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? Talk about taking that out of people's lives and taking, you know, the time, like sometimes the one time a year that people really get to see people in their family and, you know, we only live once. So it's mm -hmm. like, are you even targeting this if it's not if people are getting joy from it and it's like, oh, are you, you know, but at the end of the day, when it's rooted in what it's rooted in, you can't ignore it. So it's like, okay, what is the alternative? And, you know, I, I opt for, you know, just another date, um, another name and um, just to break that tradition, because it's just kind of like how the Washington Redskins had to change, you know, into yeah. the, the commanders. It's just that thing. Like, let's just take the the brutal history out of it and make it something fresh that's it you know what you have a point yeah. you have a point because when even when like i'm sure you've seen like a charlie brown thanksgiving have you ever seen that no are you serious yeah okay you have to watch a charlie you've never seen well because you're young you've never seen any of the charlie brown movies like charlie brown halloween charlie brown christmas thanksgiving i mean I mean, I've I'm familiar with Charlie Brown and I've seen like in okay. the newspapers and stuff, you know what I mean? But I never like actually right. said much. So Charlie. you have to watch a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving because it goes into this cute little thing about the pilgrims and the Indians sitting down and eating together. And you know, it's like everything is so whitewashed. Everything is like it it teaches kids something, it teaches a narrative that's just really not true. You know, and it, it, that's just like one of many examples, but that was a really famous one when I was a kid. But you make up, you make a good point that maybe it should just be a family day yeah. and it shouldn't be about like the history of, of what it all is. I mean, yeah. do you think that in our society, in our country, there's a sense of entitlement about certain things or, I mean, like, what are your thoughts on the American mentality. I mean, like, what's the good? What's the bad? What do you like about the American way of life? What do you think could use some improving about the American way of life and our consciousness? America. <laughs> no, I, I, what I'll say is America makes up 5% of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
the whole world is entertained by America. Like I talk to people in Africa, I talk to people in other countries, and everybody it, they love American culture. We are the just the the most uh, like view group of people in the mm -hmm. world, you know. And I think because of that, in America, you don't look outward; you look inward, and we feel like what's here is kind of what it is like you know this is our reality and this is kind of all we know so i think with that um there's a, a a lack of um what's the word compassion for a lot of a lot of different things and like you said there is some entitlement like even when i think about something like thanksgiving right mm -hmm. um, if you talk to somebody that is directly affected by it and their ancestors you know are affected by it they won't celebrate it. You know, they like, you know, they talk down on Thanksgiving, you know, and then it's just the same way. Like you have like black culture and um, there's things that we steer away from, you know what I mean? Um, because, yeah. You know, certain words and different things. And if, if it was our people, then of course they would, you know, like they would shut it all the way down. And I think people are in like their own zone. And it's like, if it doesn't affect me, it doesn't matter. And I think, that's kind of the American way we look at us and we don't look at everyone. And I think that's a mindset that I just yeah. want to help change in the world, but especially America. I think it's just, you know, we don't look left and right in for other people as much as we should. You know? Yeah. What is the hardest lesson you've ever learned and how does it serve you today? The hardest lesson I ever learned. Um, how does it serve me today? That's a very good question. The hardest lesson I've ever learned. Um, I'll say <laughs> no because you <laughs> think about like the hard because like you know I've been through a lot of things, so it's like I know a, a lot of but hard you know, like something that really like it hurt. You know what I mean? Like it was a painful lesson. A painful lesson, I think just probably speaking, I think like one thing that I, I have really learned is to just discern when you should speak, when you should share things, when you should um, just make your presence known in a room. I have, you know, like sometimes when you have passion and, and you, you want to just be a part of culture and be a part of different things that people have going on, you know, it's a lot of cringy moments that I think I've experienced just, just talking too much. So, so you were, you were, you were the cringy one. In the situation. Yeah, yeah of course, definitely. Yeah. Just just from because I think I just like to talk, you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And it's just more of a, a an enjoyment thing. You want something sparks your excitement, you just kind of start speaking. I think that's one thing that I learned, like, is to just really think about what you say before you say it, because you can hurt people's feelings. You can you know, what I mean, like those. Type yeah, of, I think because I'm so uh, emotionally like. If I hurt somebody, it hurts me too. You know what I mean? And um, and it yeah. weighs a lot on me. So I think just learning to shut up, that's it. Okay. Yeah. And what is the best advice you've received that you can think of? The best advice. Um, my mother's advice. Um, she told me to dare to be different. And she said it my whole life. And um Sometimes it resonated and sometimes it didn't, but there has been a lot of times where 
I just, you know, took that advice and it always worked out for me. When you look at, um, you know, like even like my vote don't count or a song like that. It's yeah. something that, um, you know, I originally shut it down. And once the passion came there, I didn't want to get pigeonholed because I make a lot of I mean, you you, you kind of look through the catalog. So, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the emotional music, you know, where I'm from, you know, it's more popular to make lit music. And, you know, I don't want to not be able to make fun music just because. So it's like once you get into a certain category, it mm-hmm. gets, you know, it gets scary. So I think, um, you know, that was like one of those things like, uh, I don't want to do it. But when you know how important something is, you have to dare to be different. And, um, yeah. um, you know, my mother's advice really saved me from a lot of, you know, potentially harmful situations. And it also changed my life. Yeah, because I think kids and I have a middle schooler, I have an eighth grader and kids want to fit in like they desperately want to fit in. And when you I think sometimes try to teach them about the beauty and the opportunity about being your authentic self, being the unique person that God created you to be, not being like this person and this person and this person. It just doesn't it doesn't penetrate at first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a famous historical period that you are fascinated with? A period? I would probably say like 80s hip hop. I wasn't alive then, but but I'm okay. fascinated with that. <laughs> but you mean what? historical, like like historical guess- could be 80s. It, it it could it could be 90s. It could be. Uh, I mean, I'm fascinated with 90s hip hop, right? But yeah, it could be it could be hundreds of years ago. It could be a few decades ago. Yeah, I mean, when you say history, because I know, like, I am fascinated with like. Uh, a lot of times, like Bible scriptures and those stories, just seeing how they uh, they apply in times today. And it's just mm-hmm. different things that blow my mind, like even thinking about uh, just like the boat stories. And it's like, yo, like there was like all the way 2000 years ago, there were already boats created and just thinking mm-hmm. about technology and how it was built and, you know, stuff like that. So um, uh, Bible stories. And then I guess from there all the way up to uh, hip hop, I think those are probably like the two. Like, I guess, you know, Bible is like subjective history, um, but yeah. it was like definite documented history, like the 80s, for sure. Yeah. OK. And is there anything that like anything in history that you would have loved to witness in person firsthand? It's about to sound crazy. All right. But but like the crack era, just because of. It's just such a culture that I, I never like I didn't see. Um, like so like my parents they tell me the story of like when they had moved in, uh to the projects and um when crack cocaine had first hit the community, um, it was like like a wildfire. Like people would be begging to like try to get the crack off. So you would pull into the neighborhood and then like mm-hmm. five people bang on your window, like, hey, I got this. I got like they knew what it was going to do. And it was just like this crazy obsession with everybody trying to sell like the crack. And um, and then just seeing how that went and turned into indictments and seeing how it worked in the government and just like that whole era just seems like, okay, so that's another era. I mean, it's still the 80s though, you know. Yeah. That's still all kind of it's all tied into hip hop because hip hop started to shift in that time into what it is now from what we first fell in love with. You know what I mean? So, yeah, 
definitely that period of time. I would like to just go there and just experience it just to see like how it was, you know what I mean? That's really interesting because I wonder if that led to then in the 90s when Clinton got in and he did the tough on crime thing where he started like mass incarceration of drug offenses. Mm -hmm. And what happened was it trickled down. So you had this like mass panic from crack, right? And then the fear trickled down to the point where they were putting people in prison for 20 years for selling weed. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting how it created like this fear and this hysteria. Mm -hmm. And like one, it was like a row of dominoes, like one thing led to another. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what what makes it so fascinating. Like, because I was already like into the the hip hop culture aspect of it and just, you know, watching like drug movies and just seeing how like how it operated in that time period. And then once I got into politics and seeing that, like it kind of tied together and it became this whole thing like, wait. So, you know, there there was, you know, people documented where police would put it on on, you know, young people. But then also like just seeing um, how the government works, because like with Clinton um, and this is my opinion, I don't really share political opinions too much, but um, it just kind of goes into what I was saying in the documentary. Um, it's that thing of where politicians work for the people who vote for them. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very, very popular thing to say, uh, you know, I want to be tough on crime. It still is. You know what I mean? But when you yeah. said back in the day, it issued a level of protection that made a lot of people vote for that person. So um, I think Clinton kind of just he made an emotional decision or really yeah. decision to if I'm going to get elected, I have to say what the people who are voting, you know, want and um, want to hear, want to hear. And and I think that's kind of like that first little like clear example of how the system works. It Whoever is voting, the person in power is going to to some capacity pander to them to get their votes. And then they have to be held accountable for the things that they said, which means he signed a crime bill. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's that type yeah. of thing. So yeah, yeah. It's 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 such a like a it all kind of like works together and it's a, a fascinating story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what's what's so interesting too, and this is circling back to your documentary, is that we all get so caught up in the theater of the presidential race every four years. Um, and everybody has like a dog in the fight and everybody watches the debates and every, you know, and every, everybody, not everybody, but so many people come out to vote. And I can't help but wonder because you really got me thinking, is that done by design so that the people in Congress can just sort of, you know what I mean? Just be like nothing to see here because they just want to stay in and just keep reaping the benefits for, think, for years and years to come. I think partially is done by design, but then I also think um, it comes to like monetary resources. You know what I mean? Like a president's mm-hmm. budget to make sure everybody who is anybody knows that he is running for president is 500 times more than a school board member's budget to make sure yeah. everyone knows that they're yeah. running for school board. So when you're talking about somebody who has, you know, a $500 million budget to run for president, um, and then you have somebody who has a, you know, a, a $6,000 budget, you know, it's it's no way that, you know, the focus is going to be on 
who's choosing what school lunches the kids right. are. You know what I mean? Yes, that yeah. makes sense. Um, so I want to ask you a spiritual question. Of course. Do you pray? And if so, who or what do you pray to? Um, so I'm a Christian. So I pray okay. every day, all day, not day by day, but moment by moment <laughs> before everything. You know what I mean? I pray before this interview. I'm going to pray after. Is that what like, you know, that's just. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah. And I pray to Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. Okay. Do you pray for things? Do you pray in gratitude? Do you pray for the world? Like what, what do you typically focus on? Like I said, it's moment by moment more so than it is day by day. So um, I pray for things. Um, I pray like in gratitude. I thank God all the time. Like anytime something like good news, the first thing I do is I thank God before I personally celebrate. I thank God. Um, and, and I because of the type of music I make, especially, and I come from a really big family, so that has to be my first response in so many different circumstances. People tell me, hey, I'm going through this and such and such, and I don't have the resources to change everybody's life, so what can I do? I know who does have the resources, so, and, you know, I instantly go into prayer, you know, so I pray for people. I pray for situations. I pray in gratitude. It's moment by moment. And you're from Toledo, Ohio? They Oh, don't do me oh like Dayton, that. Ohio. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah, you good. Um, where do you reside there currently, or are you traveling around a lot? I live in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, you live in Atlanta. Okay. So, what was, what is your home city like? I mean, what and has it changed over the years? And what what was the dynamic there, growing up? Um, it's a small town, you know what I mean? Um, or a small city. So um, the part that I've experienced is like small city, small town mentality. So, um, you know, like I, I will say this, um, I haven't met the level of friendliness from the, the, the people in my hometown anywhere else in the world. But, you know, as far as resources, as far as opportunity, you know, um, I don't see a lot of that. I didn't see a lot of that. Um, you know, it was it was tough. You know what I mean? Like I said, I grew up in a house with like a lot of siblings. And when I say a lot, it's not even a defined number because I had the type of parents that just show love to anybody that needed. So, you know, it wasn't cool. a lot of resources and, you know, um, it was it was difficult. You know what I mean? Um, it's, you know, you even going to like the major grocery stores like the Walmart, it's, it's 20 minutes out. 20, 30 minutes out from the, you know, the heart of the city. So it's it's like that type of thing. So okay. yeah. And the song No Support, it doesn't seem like that, like that was your personal experience. No. Because like you, it seems like your mom was just like your biggest cheerleader. So where'd you yeah. get that from? So no support is um, I mean, it, it it what it is is really just trying to tell people um that. People don't really support you until you support you. Um, and okay. and my and my mom did support me, but she could. Nobody can believe in you with their resources, especially you know, until there's something to get behind. You know what I mean? Like okay. I, I forgot what artist it was a rapper that said this, but like they said. I don't buy Jordans because I support Michael Jordan. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I buy yeah. because it's hot. I like the way it look on my feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 
it's that type of thing. You know, if you want that level of support, a lot of times you have to you have to earn it. And to earn it, you have to make it cool yourself. You have to put in a certain level of groundwork and then people will rally behind your personal efforts, you know. But if you don't have any efforts and you just kind of want the head start, it might be rough for you, especially if you don't come from a place where it's an abundance of that. Okay. I yeah. get that. My mom definitely supported me, but, you know, uh, I come from a city with I had a lot of support for sure. It was definitely a battle, you know, so it's some of my story in there and realize personal realizations along the road. Okay. Yeah. And where did, where'd you get your name from? Where does Yellow Pain come from? So it comes from the type of music that I make. Um, I'm not going to tell you my old rap name because I still got to delete some video. <laughs> My old rap name wasn't as cool, right? So um, I needed a name to represent the type of music I make. And the music I make is, um, I, I think it's pretty enjoyable. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's, it, I put a lot of my my life story and my pain into it. But you don't listen to it to cry. You know what I mean? You listen to it for joy. And um, yellow is a color that represents happiness. And pain represents everything I've ever been through. So yellow pain is a happy representation of my pain. Basically just meaning stay strong no matter what. I love that. Thank you. Okay. What do you think you came into this life to learn? And what do you think you came here to teach? That's a great question. Um, You know, every now and then, I think my purpose is one thing. And then it goes into another thing. And then it goes into another thing. Like I thought like I was going to be like this super lit rapper. And then I made a song. The first time I ever went viral, I made a song about uh, drug addiction. My uncle had just recently passed. And uh, it was just like I live in a community where it's, it was the number one city for drug overdose and deaths. Like people, it was like people overdose right outside my front door. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. It was those type of experiences that made me passionate about that subject matter. And then um, I was performing and flying around to different um, uh, rehab facilities around, you know, America. And um, I thought like, okay, maybe like this is my call. Maybe God is calling me to, you know, to be, you know, compassionate for people struggling with addiction. But um, as I continue it went into another place and then it went to another place and then um now it's the voting space and um even in the voting space it was the song but now like it's a documentary so i'm like wait now it's film um so uh, just to say all that um i i don't believe in one purpose you know i believe yeah. i believe in assignments and i think uh god puts us all on assignments and um so i take every assignment seriously and i try to execute it to the best of my ability what do you think is, what do you consider to be a false idol? A false idol? Um, you know, biblically, it was it was actual carvings and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But nowadays, um, I look at a false idol as anything that um, you use instead of God to get through situations um, that is not from him. So a, a false idol could be, it could be jewelry. It could be, you know, something that, that you, you try to use to make yourself, you know, to create a, a system of security. You know what I mean? And okay. So, yeah, I, I think that type of stuff is a false idol. Um, but yeah, it's still even the same, the same, to the same capacity, you know, anything 
you know, like actual false idols, like people really worship other things than God, you know what I mean? So yeah, those are to me, based on, you know, my religion, those are false idols. Okay. And where can, where and when can people see Simplified? So the documentary right now, we're, um, we're doing uh, private screening. So we're going around. Okay. So we're doing different uh, universities and colleges and stuff like that. But um, right now we're just waiting on a perfect platform to make sure it has the biggest impact. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you looking at the different streaming services or are you meeting with anyone? Yeah, we're in communication with a lot of different streaming services and platforms. And, um, you know, ideally, you know, it'd be on all of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, we just really want to make sure that because this is not something that, you know, we're just trying to get out, you know, and that's why it's not out. It wasn't out before the midterm election, because forever America has needed um, tools to get people interested in voting and to understand the process. Nobody's teaching it. um, Nobody's young enough for people to even care to listen to is teaching Mm -hmm. it. And um, so, you know, we got to be patient and make sure that this message is is really delivered. And how did you hook up with DJ Manny Fresh? And tell me about the EP that you made recently. Yeah, so first off, I feel like that was manifested. Like, um, like before even my vote don't count blew up like it did, I had did uh, a freestyle like right before that year started. And it was, um, I was rapping on a Manny Fresh beat and I said in 2020, I'm a blow, you know, and I didn't even know that it was actually how it was going to happen. I was just, you know, rapping and really like, passion i was dressed like manny fresh in the thing and um and a uh, long story short um after everything blew up and it was time to transition um from just the political music back into you know like the, the emotional music that i make and the, you know the self-help music um i wanted to just keep it lit you know what i mean and we me and my management team was thinking about like who could we work with um that is going to take this you know like just take this music to the next level and uh one of my managers had a relation a great relationship with manny fresh and um he was excited about it and it's just when i once i linked up with him it was magical and i know we still gonna even work beyond that ep oh that's awesome and are you like are you independent or are you working with a a label or what what are you doing business-wise no no i'm fully independent i have my manager Team Crescent Productions, um, and that's and that's it. You know, like I'm independent right now, anyway. Okay. When people refer to you as uh, a viral sensation, right, uh, which is kind of like grassroots. Uh-huh. Tell me, what, like, what was do you think was the secret sauce to to that to the fact that that happened to you? To going viral. Yep. I think. First off, you have to have some level of, you know, talent and skill in what you're doing. Um, if you're going to go viral for the right thing, for the right reason. But um, aside from that, um, I think it comes down to authenticity, to be honest. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I think I, I, I speak about a lot of things that people probably wouldn't speak about because why would I put that in a rap song? You know what I mean? Why would I, you know, but, you know, like, I think it's just come, it just really comes down to authenticity to me. That okay. it's always viral. It's it's original and it's authentic. Anything you see viral is viral because you've never seen it before. And it's, you know, it throws you off some kind of way. And I think that's just what was happening. Good definition. Yeah. Good answer. That makes so much sense. 
So I want to thank you so much for your time. It was so exciting to sit down and talk with you because you're so talented and you have so much wisdom in your lyrics for such a young man. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciated this interview. It was, uh, it was different than a lot of the same copy and paste interviews. Like you are great at your job and I appreciate you. I had a Thank great you time. so much. Thank yeah. you. All right, best of luck with everything. Thank you, same to you. Thank you guys for hanging with me for the duration of this interview. I hope you got a lot out of it. And remember, you can follow Yellow Pain on Instagram at yellowpain, Y-E-L-L-O-P-A-I-N. You can also find him at Yellow Pain on YouTube and check out his videos and keep an eye out for his upcoming documentary, which will be out next year. And you can follow me on YouTube at Allison Interviews and follow me on Instagram at the Allison Kugel. And I will catch you on the next go round. Peace.